Jesus, our prayer this morning is that we can be a people who reflect you, your love, your grace, and your mercy, God. I pray that this morning as we look at Philippians chapter 2, Lord, verses 14 through 18, God, that we are able to slow down and listen and to hear the word that you have for us through Paul. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You can be seated. Good morning. I'm Kimberly, and I too am one of the priests here at Church of the Cross. We're so glad that you are worshiping with us this morning. So we've been in the book of Philippians for a couple months now, and we will continue in it today. I want to start this morning by asking a question. Raise your hand if you have ever ridden a city bus. A few hands around the room, yes. I know there's some kids who probably ride school buses. Same, but not the same. Well, if you haven't ridden a city bus, or if you have, you know that it can be a bit of an adventure. Oftentimes, it requires changing buses multiple times, long waits, walking between stops, encountering some interesting characters, probably feeling a bit cramped during peak riding hours. Riding a bus is rarely convenient, but for some people, it's a necessity. Those who do it regularly often have to do it, maybe because of lack of transportation or perhaps because they live in a city where public transportation is the norm. It takes a lot longer to travel by bus than it does by car. For example, um, I mapped this out earlier this week. If you were to go from Church of the Cross to Zilker Park by car, it would take about 22 minutes, so not too bad. But if you were to go from Church of the Cross to Zilker Park by bus, you would first have to walk 0.4 miles to the bus stop. Then you would have to have 43 stops in between here and Zilker Park. You'd have to make one transfer between buses, or sorry, three bus transfers. And finally, after an hour and 24 minutes, you would arrive at Zilker Park. So not convenient. Kids, for those of you who maybe ride a school bus, can you imagine if it took that long to get to school? Like walking a half of a mile almost, lots of stops in between, transferring buses, you'd have to leave an hour and a half before school started. Not ideal. So you can imagine that while riding a bus is a bit of a harrowing experience for passengers, that driving a bus is also likely not a walk in the park. Several years ago, in the San Francisco Chronicle, there was a front-page article about a bus driver named Will Linda Wilson Allen. The thing about Linda was that she loved the people who rode her bus. She learned their names. She waited for them if they were late and would later on in her route make up that time. If you've ridden a bus before, then you know that Linda is not maybe your typical bus driver, and that's not a knock on bus drivers. They have a hard job. I would be terrible at it. When I was reading about Linda, it actually made me think of, I think it's the first episode of Miss Marvel, if anybody's been watching that. I don't think this is too much of a spoiler alert. But in that first episode, Kamala and her friend Bruno are like racing to catch a city bus, and they have their bikes with them. And Kamala gets on the bus, but not in time for her bike to be shut on the other side of the door. And the bus driver takes off, and her bike is there in the middle of the road. Well, Linda is not that type of bus driver. I would imagine that Linda would stop the bus and let Kamala grab her bike. 
Linda is a type of driver that on occasion got off her bus to help people with groceries. There was one such passenger, a woman named Ivy, who was in her 80s, and Linda noticed that Ivy was struggling with the groceries and getting them on the bus, and so she got off and helped her. And after that experience, Ivy would wait and let other bus drivers pass her by just so she could ride on Linda's bus. There's another story about Linda seeing a woman named Tanya in a bus shelter. And Linda could tell that Tanya was probably new around town. So she got off the bus and she walked up to her and she said, you seem like you're alone and maybe you don't know the town very well. And it happened to be Thanksgiving. So Linda invited Tanya over to have Thanksgiving with her and her children. And after that, Linda and Tanya became friends. The bus is an unexpected place for this type of kindness and warmth and joy. But the passengers who rode with Linda, they came to know her well and be, feel so loved by her that they would bring her gifts. They, lear they learned that she loved to wear scarves that coordinated with her outfits. And so for Christmas and birthdays, they would bring her gifts and scarves. Each of us likely comes across circumstances, people, events, where we're tempted to grumble. And I would imagine that for myself at least, if I were a bus driver in a big city like Linda, I would be tempted to grumble and complain at times. But Linda seemed to do this job with a cheerful attitude. As I mentioned, we've been in the book of Philippians for the last several weeks. In this book of Philippians, Paul is writing from prison. This book is full of joy and thanksgiving and adoration toward the people of Philippi despite the fact that Paul himself is suffering when he writes this letter. And as we've been walking through Philippians, we've been looking for these moments of encouragement, these times when Paul has a word of encouragement for each of us today. And I imagine, or I think when we think about this story of Linda, we see that she was constantly offering the people who rode her bus this word of encouragement. She was offering them support and hope. But we also know that in the book of Philippians and in Paul's circumstance when he wrote this book, he was suffering. But despite that, he was able to have joy and to rejoice and to encourage the people in Philippi who were also suffering to be a people who were full of joy. In last week's sermon, Paul Van Allen, our deacon, he preached on Philippians 2, 12 through 13, which comes just before today's passages. If you were here last week, I'm curious, does anybody remember the hand motions or the words that Paul gave us? I see Julie and Dave doing it. Yep. Yep. Down, out, and in. Remember that? Down, out, in. So as a reminder, Jesus emptied himself out, and he took on the nature of a human. He humbled himself to walk among us, and as followers of Jesus, we too are called to that. We are called to be a people who humble ourselves, who pour ourselves out for others. And we are also called to do this work together as a community. So as Church of the Cross, we are called to be pouring ourselves out for each other, but then also for people who are outside of our community. And so that's the down, the humbling, and then the pouring out. And then the in. The in is that the hope is, of Christ is worked into us. And this is where we find joy. This is a part of what Paul was talking about in today's verses. We find this joy in Christ who is in us. And know that God is working in us and through us. And that we are to act in goodwill according to his purpose. These themes of togetherness, friendship, community, the down, the in, and the out, they're present throughout Philippians, and they're present in today's reading as well. 
In chapter 2, verses 4 through 18, I want to read from the message version, and I think you'll see it up on your screen. Do Thank you, Connor. It says, do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night so I'll have good cause to be proud of you in the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all of this work for nothing. Even if I am executed here and now, I'll rejoice in being an element in the offering of your faith that you make on Christ's altar, a part of your rejoicing. But turnabout's fair play. You must join me in my rejoicing. Whatever you do, don't feel sorry for me. There's a lot to unpack in this text. Sarah and I are kind of talking this morning about, like, when you read these verses, what do you focus on? There's so much in this. I think we could do, like, possibly a whole series on these verses. But today I'm going to focus on three things. We're going to focus on our identity as Christians and that that should affect all of our attitudes and our behaviors. We're also going to focus on our testimony as Christians shining when we are filled with joy, even in the midst of trials. And lastly, we are going to talk about why we are to be light in the darkness. So let's begin with our identity as Christians affecting all of our attitudes and behaviors. We see this example throughout Scripture. We see this in today's reading from Philippians. Paul is writing to this community. He is telling them that their faith should affect not just their private life inside of their homes. It shouldn't just be something intellectually that they're thinking about. It should be something that is acted out, that is worked out in their community and among others. They are to show their obedience to God by getting their corporate act together, though. So first, they need to kind of start with cleaning their own house, right? Making sure that things are in order among them. And then they are to live this out. We might be asking ourselves, what is the big deal about grumbling or arguing? Because Paul's language in today's verse is pretty strong. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Grumbling can also be translated as murmuring. So if you think about kind of talking underneath your breath or complaining maybe about something, and it often reveals that there's maybe a reluctance or a discontentment in us when we're grumbling to ourselves about something or someone. In 1 Peter, we're commanded, though, to show hospitality without grumbling, since grumbling is not the earnest love that we should show as followers of Christ. Paul tells the Philippians and us that we are to do all things without grumbling, disputing, arguing. He says no bickering and no second guessing allowed. In the context, it's important to know that he was really talking with the Philippians likely about not grumbling and arguing among each other. He wanted them to adopt this humble, self-sacrificing posture a way of the servant, the way of Jesus, right? The way that we, we are, he humbled himself, we too are to do that. If the people of Philippi, if the church, if they're arguing and grumbling against one another, then they are not walking in this posture of humility. They are not allowing their faith to affect everything that they do. And they are, in fact, harming their Christian witness, just as Paul was exhorting the Philippians, we must also confront grumbling and griping and take it seriously. 
I think that one of the things, at least for me, that is hard about this passage is that it likely hits home for a lot of us. I know that I can struggle with this from time to time, and I imagine that I'm not the only one. I found myself often this week kind of catching myself when I was grumbling about something underneath my breath. I know at times as a parent of a 10-year-old, sometimes we have to talk about that too, right? How many of us can relate to grumbling or complaining about something? Yeah, yeah. We are not alone. That's the good news. (laughs) We are not alone in this, friends. In truth, though, when I read these verses, I also think, man, couldn't Paul have said it like a little softer? Does does he really mean like everything? Come on. He could have said try to do most things without grumbling or disputing. That feels more realistic to me, but he doesn't. He is not going to let us off the hook as followers of Christ. In this section of Philippians, Paul is also kind of referencing or giving a nod to some of what we see in the Old Testament. For example, in Exodus, we see that Israel, that we see them grumbling and complaining about the significant sins. We see them saying, being disappointed that things aren't being provided for them. They complain about Moses, even though the food and the water that they needed were provided by God. And because they're complaining about Moses, they're actually complaining and grumbling against God. And while this is not an exact parallel today's scripture, to today's scripture, it is a reminder that as a people of God, grumbling has been a sin. This grumbling, this complaining, maybe this lack of appreciation for the things that we have been given is something that has been around for a long time. And that is a part of why Paul is talking to the Philippians about this and why it is so significant. It's important, too, to note that Paul's command, it does not say that we are not to have honest, hard discussions with each other, with people in the church. It doesn't mean that we can't have differences or disagreements. It also does not mean that we cannot question church leaders. But his command, it should cause us to consider the attitude that we have when we have concerns or when we approach somebody with a disagreement. As children of God, our testimony It is what communicates so much about who we are. And it should be who we are as Christians, should be at the forefront of our thinking so that our attitudes, our behavior, and our words bring glory to God. Secondly, our testimony as Christians, it shines when we are filled with joy, not just when things are good and happy, but also when times of trial. Verse 17 tells us that we are, not only to, we are not only to avoid grumbling and disputing, but positively we are to be a people who are marked by joy, even in the midst of difficult trials. As Christians, our aim should be to be known for our joy rather than our grumbling or arguing or negative attitudes. Our testimony as children of God, it requires that we are marked by these things, even in times of trial. It is easy-ish, I think, to be happy and rejoice when things are good. But it is hard to be a people who are joyful and turning back, remembering who Christ is when things are hard. I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that we are in hard times. There is darkness around us all the time, both little things and big things. It has been a challenging last few years. 
but one of the ways that we can stand out and one of the ways that we can proclaim the gospel to others is to be a people that is still centered in Christ and in his promise and in who he is and to be a people that are joyful even in the midst of trial and even in the midst of darkness. This is keeping Christ and his promises at the center. If you've been to my home, you might have noticed that along with some other artwork in our hallway, we have this banner hanging. I think I got it maybe right around the beginning of the pandemic, um, in the spring of 2020 when we were in pandemic, but also when a lot of the racial injustice that has been a part of our nation for so long was kind of bubbling up and being recognized by people who maybe before had not. And when I see this banner multiple times a day and walk by it, it's this reminder for me that the joy that we are called to as followers of Jesus is also a way of resisting. We don't often think of resistance as joy, but it is. When we see Christ in his life, when we think about Paul in today's reading and the joy and the rejoicing that he is calling us to, it is a way that we can resist the powers and the principalities of today. It is a way that we can be a light shining brightly in darkness I think, too, the temptation at times with this passage, it may be to silence people or quiet people. And Paul is not saying that those who are oppressed or suffering can't speak up about that and that we can't advocate for them. But for those of us who follow Christ, he is telling us to center ourselves and to turn to him and to find joy in that and to remember that our hope is in him and in who he is. The idea of never complaining for those who have endured long suffering and oppression and discrimination, it may feel especially unwelcome. And I want to recognize that and not kind of water it down. That goes back to this idea sometimes we might use things like this to sort of, yeah, quiet people and to tell them not to speak up. But we serve a God who sits with us in our suffering and our pain and our sorrow. And we can rejoice in that too. We can also find rest knowing that our eternal hope, it is not in the here and the now. It is in the kingdom. It is in God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, where God's justice, it reigns forever, always and everywhere. So lastly, we are called to be a light in the darkness. We are weaker when we grumble and we complain. We do not shine brightly. But when we act from a place of joy and love and kindness, that is rooted in Christ. And we can be a light in the darkness. In today's verse we read, so that you may become blameless, blameless and pure. So Paul is not telling us these things. He is not telling us to do everything without grumbling and arguing, to rejoice just because. He's telling us this so that we may be blameless and pure so that we may stick out as followers of Christ. In the message version, it talks about carrying a light-giving message, and that is what we get to do, friends. We get to carry a message that is light-giving. The use of the word shine, lights, it means luminaries, things that shine and stick out. Does anybody know when stars shine the brightest? They shine the brightest when the night is the darkest. This photo, it's a little hard to see, um, 
but my husband took it. I don't even know where he is. In Mexico. I forget where it was, Steve. Um, but he took it um, in a really dark place. And if you saw this like in real life, or if you saw it even on his phone, it would stick out even more to you. But you can see how dark the sky is. It looks a bit different than the sky in the middle of Austin at night. And you can see how brightly the stars are shining. That is when the stars are the brightest. That is too when we can be the brightest, when things around us may feel especially heavy or dark. Does anybody know, or tell me, sorry, what is the purpose of light? I know like for some of the kids who were at VBS this week, you learned a few things about light. Does anybody recall light? What did you guys learn about light? Plants and light? Anybody? Do, what? Plants need light, right? For what? <laughs> photosynthesis to grow, to live, yes. We need light to see so that we're not stumbling around, running into chairs and things. We take it for granted, though, because we live in a time where, like, electricity is a thing. And so we don't often think about the fact that light is something we need always and everywhere because we've, we've always had it. It is important. All right, so I would not normally ask you to take your phones out, but I am going to ask you, if you have a phone with a flashlight on it, to take it out. I'll give you guys a second. I also want to give you a warning. We are going to turn the lights off briefly. It does not get too dark in here, though. All right, so turn your flashlights on. Look around a little bit. Observe. We can see, like, bright lights, right? It's not really giving us much more light in the room, though, correct? All right, Kelly, hit it. Kelly's going to turn the lights off for us. All right. Okay, now look around. Does it feel any different with the lights off than it did with the lights on? Yeah, a bit. It'd help if we were, it was pitch black in here, but we're not going to do that. All right, Kelly, thank you. I actually don't love artificial light, so it's kind of nice with the lights off. Um, all right, so did anybody notice a difference like between the lights being on and the lights being off? The lights shined a lot brighter, right? We notice them, they stick out more in the dark. And that is what we get to be. That is what we are called to be. When things are bright and okay, it is still important, right, for us to be a light, to be a people who point, point people toward Jesus. But when it is dark, when people are asking questions, when they're suffering, when they're asking about your faith or who Jesus is, we get to shine especially bright because we bring this message of hope joy to others. It is unlike any other message or story that people have heard. And we get to be people who are marked by that. If we focus on pointing ourselves repeatedly back to Christ and who he is, then we shine even brighter to those around us. When we rejoice rather than grumbling and complaining, we live out the gospel. There's so much today to grumble and complain about, to feel frustrated about, and those aren't bad or wrong feelings or experiences. But what if we respond differently to the darkness, to the hard things, to the pain that people are feeling? Oftentimes, when things are the darkest for us or for those around us, our temptation isn't to be a people who are joyful or filled with joy. But we do have the opportunity to radiate the brightness of God. 
Paul himself wrote this, his letter from a dark place, in prison, facing possible execution. Christian preachers in Rome were slandering him, but he says that if his life is poured out as a drink offering on the altar, if it was upon the sacrifice and service of the Philippians' faith, then he would rejoice, and he would share in joy with them. Our lives will shine more brightly as we put off grumbling and disputing or as we have meaningful conversations with each other about things that maybe we do disagree about. The gospel, that Christ died for our sins and arose victorious over sin and death, it offers us full pardon from the wages of sin and death. And that is good news for us. It is good news that it enables us to move forward with joy. And it is life-giving. Our testimony is built on our life in Christ. It is a life that is free from grumbling. It is a life that is filled with the joy of Christ and his salvation, salvation in him. Just like Linda, we get to be a light in the darkness rather than grumbling or complaining or talking about one another. We get to choose another way. Committing to these things, it requires us to submit ourselves to God daily, maybe even minute by minute. We have to examine our hearts often. When Linda, the bus driver, gets to the end of her line, she always says to the people on her bus, I love you. Take care of yourself. She doesn't grumble at them or complain about the hard work that she does. She is joyful and she shows care. I'd imagine that Linda really is a star shining brightly for these people and their busy lives. You don't expect to get on a bus and feel loved and taken care of. And you might be asking yourself, how does Linda do this? How does she maintain this attitude of joy, of doing everything without grumbling when she has a not-so-easy job? When she was asked this, when she was asked how she does this, does this, Linda said that her mood is set every morning at 2.30 when she gets down and prays for 30 minutes. Her attitude and behaviors, they're clearly centered in Christ. And because of this, she really does shine brightly. She is witnessing to people who Jesus is in this job that we often don't think about. And so what does that say for us? I think a part of what it says is that in all that we do, in the mundane, everyday things, the driving from here to there, or the riding the bus, or the making a meal, or the paying somebody for a meal at a restaurant, we too can be rejoicing. We too can be shining brightly. We can be pointing others toward Christ and to, toward who he is. If we are a people, though, who behave just like everybody else and who get caught up in things or maybe talking about one another, then we are not shining our brightest and we are not proclaiming Christ as we are called to do. God's grace covers us in all of this. We will not do this perfectly, right? I'm sure that Linda had her days. We all do. But a part of our call really is to be a people who think about how our faith affects everything we do, to shine forth brightly even in times of trial, and to be a people who bring light to others in the darkness. Amen. Jesus, I pray that we can be a people who are marked by being light in the darkness, that we can be a people who are marked by our joy rather than our complaining and our arguing God. 
Let us be this so that we can share others, share you with others. We pray this in your name. Amen.